a contented person is preoccupied with the conditions of others. Folks, listen, this is absolutely essential to your contentment. To be, so, because to become people as Paul, to become contented as Paul, we need to be more concerned about the welfare of others than we are the welfare of ourselves. And the principal church is this. If you live for yourself, you will never be content. If you live for the next thing that you believe will make you happy, you'll never be a contented person. Because contentment begins to be a reality in our lives when you have no, con- when you have no concern about how it is with you but you are only concerned about how it is with others. This is the Divine Truth Podcast, a ministry of Emmanuel Baptist Church in beautiful Central Virginia. This podcast is for the purpose of teaching God's people through the verse-by-verse exposition live from the pulpit of Emmanuel Baptist Church. We pray that the Word of God richly blesses you as you hear it proclaimed. It has. It is. It is certainly a privilege and honor to open up the Word of God this morning, isn't it? And I praise the Lord uh, that you are that you are here with us this morning. Let's take your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter four this morning. Philippians chapter number four. Philippians chapter number four. According to the IRS analysis. Americans who itemize their deductions give less than 3% of their adjusted gross income to their church or other Christian charitable ministries. Less than 3%. Now normally, when a pastor gets up and announces that he's going to be preaching on giving, it seems for some that by the mercy and grace, that is... At that very moment, I need to make my last, lasting trip to the restroom. Or, social media begins to blow up your cell phone. And all of your peeps on social media need to hear from you immediately. Because we all know that all of your relevancy is directly connected to whether or not you are being followed on social media, so you better answer them. And that usually tends to follow. Or this, this is a good one. I do believe I hear my baby in the nursery crying. And you get down there and the baby wasn't crying until you opened the door and they saw you. Then they started crying. Oh, well, I better stay. All because the preacher said he's going to preach on giving. Well, you may be pleasingly surprised at the Bible's teaching on giving. Because it is a scriptural principle. It is a scriptural principle, church, that must be understood. But the problem with so many presentations of giving is that it is presented in such a way as if we're almost making deals with God, right? Okay, God, I'll, I'll try to give you at least 10%, but you must keep the end of your deal. 
And in reality, church, giving is nothing like that at all. Because it may surprise you to hear that giving, as Paul speaks about it, is really one of the secrets of contentment. Philippians chapter 4, out of honor and respect for God's word, let's please stand as we read our text. Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse number 14. This is the word of God. Paul says, Notwithstanding, ye have well done, that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity. Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we pray that the word of God would be clear to us this morning. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you very much. You may be seated. Thaddeus was a man of pure contentment. But Thaddeus was also a man with a very bad heart, physically. One time while cruising on an Alaskan cruise ship, Thaddeus suffered a severe heart attack and almost died on the ship. And God graciously spared Thaddeus' life as he arrived at the hospital in Vancouver, British Columbia, where he spent the next several weeks recuperating from this heart attack. And when he was well enough to return home to Colorado Springs, he was still very, very weak, but was strong in his contentment. He would get on the phone at least once a day, and he would begin to call all of his closest friends, and they would answer the phones, and he would say, how are you doing, is usually what he would say, and they would, which reply that he usually got, Thaddeus, how are you doing? I mean, you're the one that had the heart attack. And Thaddeus would say, don't worry about me. I'm fine. I'm at peace. I'm content. Everything is well. I'm concerned about you. Well, it shocked every, any friend that would shock, and it shocked his friends. And uh, they, Thaddeus, in the process of the conversation, would normally tell them how much he had been praying for them. And Thaddeus would say, no, no, we need to pray for you. You are the one that needs our prayers. And this was normally how the conversation took place. You'd call Thaddeus, how are you? Oh, no, how are you? Don't worry about me. Not long after his first heart attack, Thaddeus had another major heart attack. His wife rushed him to the hospital, and once again, the Lord spared his life. When he arrived at home, he was the, at the moment he arrived, he was not able to speak, but fairly quickly regained that ability. And as his friends began to call Thaddeus, his wife would bring him to the phone, and at that time, Thaddeus, having just received back the ability to speak, was still on oxygen all the time. 
When his wife would bring him the phone, Thaddeus would take off his oxygen mask and he would hear on the other end of the voice, Thaddeus, how are you doing? And Thaddeus would reply, no, how are you doing? It was impossible to get that guy off track. Thaddeus Thaddeus would always say, I'm a contented man. I have perfect peace. Thaddeus would always say, I'm not a bit concerned about my life. And as you think about what made Thaddeus so content, one of the things that made Thaddeus so content is that he was so concerned with the well-being of others versus the well-being of himself. You remember as we began looking at the secrets of contentment, and we saw, first of all, that contentment is persuaded of God's control. Notice, remember what Paul said in verse 10. He said, but I rejoice where, church? In the Lord. That's key. I rejoiced in the Lord. Greatly. Wonderful adverb. How did you rejoice, Paul? I rejoiced greatly. In whom did you rejoice? Where's your source of joy? Where's your source of rejoicing? In the Lord. That your care, that now at the last, your care of me hath flourished again. And we said to you last week that one of the things that brought, brought Paul contentment and one of the things that will bring us contentment is the realization that our entire lives are controlled by the sovereign hand of a loving God. That there's absolutely nothing that takes place in your life today that is beyond the decree and beyond the sovereignty of God. I don't care how good it is, church. I don't care how bad it may seem to be at the time. Everything that happens in your life is not willed or permitted by God, but everything that happens in your life is decreed by God. It is decreed by His sovereign hand. And that made Paul a contented person that I can rest in God's providential control. But we also saw not only is contentment persuaded in God's providence, but contentment is pleased in his condition. Notice what Paul says in verse 11. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have what, church? I've learned that in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. But we also saw, number three, that contentment is polar to circumstance. You know, this morning, your, your present circumstances that you're in have, should have nothing to do with your contentment. If your contentment is truly what Paul said in verse 10, in the Lord, then your circumstances have nothing to do with your contentment. Paul says in verse 12, I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and suffer need. But then we saw last week, number four, contentment is positive in capability. You know where your strength comes from to be content? I can do all things through who? What are the all things? The all things, the antecedents of the all things or the modifiers of the all things are back in verse 12, aren't they? The abounding, the fullness, being abased, Paul says, I can live in whatever state that God has put me because I have learned through being abounding, through being abased, through being hunger, through being, being filled, I have learned through those things that I can live in all of those things because I get my strength from Christ. 
He gives me the strength. And contextually, it is, Paul says, it is Christ that gives me the strength to be a contented person. Okay, number five. Contentment is preoccupied with conditions. Contentment is preoccupied with conditions. And more specifically, church, I want to say this. That a contented person is preoccupied with the conditions of others. Folks, listen, this is absolutely essential to your contentment. To be, so, because to become people as Paul, to become contented as Paul, we need to be more concerned about the welfare of others than we are the welfare of ourselves. And the principal church is this. If you live for yourself, you will never be content. If you live for the next thing that you believe will make you happy, you'll never be a contented person. Because contentment begins to be a reality in our lives when you have no, con when you have no concern about how it is with you. But you are only concerned about how it is with others. Because listen, well you, say, you say, Pastor, aren't I supposed to be concerned about myself? No, that goes back to point number one. That we are persuaded in God's control. I don't have to worry about me because I am persuaded in God's control in my life. But my concern individually for me is more concerned about others than I am for myself. And frankly, church, let's be real. Most people aren't like that, are they? Most Christians aren't like that. Most Christians are so preoccupied with themselves so many Christians are so wrapped up in their own little world and their own little package that they don't have time for anybody else. I am so concerned and I'm so wrapped up in all of my problems, I don't have time to worry about yours because I have failed in point number one. I'm not persuaded in his control. I'm not persuaded in his sovereignty. And so therefore I spend my life worrying about what's going on in my life wrapped up in myself and I don't have any time for anybody else. And listen, church, when you're wrapped up in yourself, you will be a people that, is, that are discontented because of what you're wrapped up in. You know, it's quite ironic, isn't it, that when you're wrapped up in yourself, you yourself become a discontented person. You know, is this true of you? Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. It's true of me sometimes. I'll admit it. I'm sinful enough to admit it. So many people demand that the world be exactly the way they say it should be. Right? Not the world, but your world. So many people demand that things in their world go exactly the way they say it should go. We want to force everything, if we're not careful, we want to force everything into a little mold of our own making. People want their husbands or wives to be exactly the way they expect them to be. Well, let me tell you something. You probably weren't married long before you found out that your husband or your wife isn't what you expected them to be, right? Because when you're dating, everybody puts on the show, okay? But when you're, when you're wrapped up in your own bubble, well, I see a lot of eyes being cut in here this morning. When you, when you spend your time being wrapped up in your own bubble, then you need to be careful that you don't get discontent because your husband or wife is not exactly the way you want them to be. And in order to fill our expectations, 
in order to fill our designs, in order to fill our agendas, we want our children to be absolutely conformed to a pre-written plan that we think they should fill. We want our world to get into what is our personal niche and in that, into that little cupboard where we want to compartmentalize every element of our existence. You will never know contentment, church, until you get off of your own agenda. Because newsflash, the world isn't going to be the way you want it to be. Your children are going to disappoint you drastically. Your grandchildren are going to disappoint you drastically. That's why we look to Christ. Because we don't find our contentment in the compartmentalization of our life. We find our contentment in the Lord. And we need to lose, church, the preoccupation with ourselves. Paul prayed that for the, for the, for the Philippians in chapter 1, verse 9, where he says, And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. Church, what does it mean to have abounding love? It, to have abounding love basically means to be concerned with others. And that's why he says in chapter 2, verse 3, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem who? Others. Others. Better than yourself. You see, Paul was giving us hints of contentment way back in chapter 2. You'd be more concerned about others than you are yourself. Because listen, this is the attitude of the Lord Jesus Christ, wasn't it? And Paul tells us in, chapter, in verse 5 of chapter 2, You let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, I'm going to give it to you literally in the Greek, did not think equality with God was something to be fought for. Jesus Christ was God, but did not demand his position. Did not demand the respect of being God. Jesus Christ was truly God, but had no man, no place to lay his head, did he? Jesus Christ was truly God, but wept. Jesus Christ was truly God, but felt pain, felt sorrow, felt remorse in his humanity and was more concerned about others than he was himself. And what does Paul say in Philippians 2.5? You let that mind be in you. Because church, listen, Christ did not have the attitude to look out for his own interests, or else he would have stayed in heaven. He looked out for the interests of wicked, sinful, fallen man, and he left heaven to meet their needs. And contentment belongs to those who, do are not, who are not demanding that everything fit into their personal little agenda. But those people that are content are those people that are preoccupied with others. And Paul unpacks this truth for us in verses 14 to 19 as we see that contentment is preoccupied with conditions. Look at verse 14. Notice what he says. Notwithstanding. Stop right there. It'll be a long sermon. Now, this is a very important, this is a very important transition for Paul. Because he did not want to leave the wrong impression with the Philippians. I want you to remember this picture. Paul is in prison, right? Remember? Paul is in prison. He's incarcerated in some kind of an apartment in Rome. Now the 
incarceration process, uh, the Department of Justice, the Department of Corrections back in Rome was not the way it is in the state of Virginia. In the state of Virginia, the Department of Corrections, you're giving food, housing, and clothing. That wasn't what it was in the first century Department of Corrections in the providence of Rome. In Rome, if you wanted food, housing, and clothing, you had to pay for it yourself even though you were a prisoner. And so here's Paul in an apartment prison chained to a Roman soldier 24-7. He is in a very, physically speaking, he is in a very difficult situation. Paul was surviving on just very meager sustenance. Word got to the Philippian believers that Paul had a great need and that that need was currently not being met. And so then the Philippians, out of love, sent a man by the name of Epaphroditus with food, clothing, and money for Paul. And so Epaphroditus, if you look on the map and you do the figuring, to go from Rome to Philippi, get this, in the first century, was 614 miles And so Epaphroditus makes the trip from Rome to Philippi, 614 miles, to take these supplies of the Apostle Paul. And it was a very gracious gift. It was a very sacrificial gift. Keep in mind that the Philippians were very, very poor. They were not a wealthy church at all. They were part of the churches of Macedonia that Paul spoke about in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Very poor people who were living well below the poverty line. But what they did have, they gave to Paul sacrificially. How were they able to do that? This is amazing to me as I search search the scriptures of how these churches of Macedonia were able to do this. Notice 2 Corinthians 8, verse 5. But first gave of what? They gave of themselves first. You see, church, you'll never be content and you'll never be preoccupied with others and you'll never be able to do what God wants you to do sacrificially if you have not first given yourself. God, everything I am, everything I have, everything I own, everything I can do is yours. You do it as you see fit. I don't want it. You take it because, folks, listen, even when you give your money, who does that money belong to? God's just let you borrow it. Only thing you're doing is giving back to God, which rightfully is to begin with. But the Macedonia churches in Macedonia were able to give sacrificially, Paul says, because they gave it themselves first. You see, that's key. That's key. Anything, church, that's done for the Lord must be done from a heart that's first given themselves to him. Because unless there is a personal sacrifice of ourselves to the Lord, nothing else will be able or nothing else will be willing to be sacrificed. And that's why Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you or I beg you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present what? Your bodies, or or can you guess what another synonym would be? You give yourself. It's the same principle. Whether you give your body or you give yourself, it's the same principle. Paul says, what's the first thing that must be if you and I are going to be a living sacrifice, which, by the way, he says at the end of verse 1, it's just a reasonable service. You're not doing anything extraordinary. It's just reasonable. What is the reasonable thing that a Christian does? They first, church, give of themselves to God. And then once we give ourselves to God, then everything else kind of flows, doesn't it? 
But when we refuse to first sacrifice ourselves as a living sacrifice to God, then everything else is problematic. And so when Epaphroditus would have returned to Rome, he would have taken this letter, the Philippian letter, back with him. And then they're going to read things like this. What did Paul say in verse 11? I don't have any wants. Now this church just gave him sacrificially. And if you were given a gift sacrificially, or you gave a gift sacrificially, and the person who you gave it to wrote you a letter back and says, I don't have any wants, what would you think? Paul says, I don't have any wants. Paul says in verse 11, I've learned to be content. Verse 12, I know how to get along with humble means. I know I have learned the secret of going hungry and suffering needs. Verse 13, I can endure all things through Christ who gives me strength. And if they had just read that, they're going to come to some pretty different conclusions, aren't they? We sacrifice this fellow. We are a poor church living below the poverty line. And we sacrifice to send him food, clothing, and money. And he sends us a letter back and says, I don't have any wants. This guy didn't need anything that we sent to him. We made a terrible mistake. We made a major sacrifice. We made a major act of love by giving him to this. And he writes us back and said, I didn't want it. I didn't need it. He writes us back saying, God will provide in his own time. I'm trusting God's sovereign control. I'm satisfied with little and I'm, I'm living above my circumstances. and I'm sustained by divine power. And if that had been the end of the letter, wow, they would have, that was not exactly a thank you note. But in spite of all that, what does Paul say? You've done well. You've done well. Yeah, I've learned to, I've learned to get along with little. I've learned that my help comes from God who made heaven and earth, right? I've learned that. But, or nevertheless... Even though that's true, is it nevertheless or notwithstanding is a transitional word in the, in the language. And he says, nevertheless, you did well. The word well is a Greek word kalos, and it means something that's good, something that's noble. Paul says, even though, I didn't, even though I've learned all these things, you did something for me that was beautiful in character. You did the right thing. You did the noble thing. What did they do? Verse 14. That ye, that ye did communicate with my affliction or with my distress, with my oppression. Paul tells them, you did a noble thing when you shared with me. You did a good thing when you partnered with me by giving to me generously. But Paul, how could it have been a good thing? How could it have been a noble thing if you didn't need it? Look at verse 15. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church, get this, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving. But who? But you. Now Paul's going back 10 years. It's been 10 years since he received the last gift from the, churches, from the church of uh, Philippi. It's been 10 years since he left that area of Macedonia. And he wanted to remind this church that he remembers how gracious they were to him. 10 years ago in the church, when, Philippi, when the church of Philippi was started, and then he left there to go to Thessalonica. And then he left Thessalonica to go to Berea, which are the three major port areas in the area of, of Macedonia. And Paul says, in all that time, 
You were the only church that helped me. And Paul says, I'll never forget what you did. Yes, I've learned some lessons, verses 10 through 13. Yes, I've learned some lessons. But let me tell you what, what you did was a good thing, and I'll never forget what you've done for me. And he says, when we look back at verse 10, he says, remember, he says, I know that you would have done more, but you didn't have the opportunity to do it. But notice with 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 2, how that in a great, I want you, I want you to see that verse where we looked at a few moments ago in, in context. How that in a great trial of affliction, now Paul here is speaking about the church of Philippi, the church of Thessalonica, the church of Berea, which are the churches of Macedonia, which is what the context is of 2 Corinthians 8. How that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep what? Poverty. Abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and what, church? Beyond. Not only to their ability, Paul says, but beyond their ability, they were willing of themselves. So here is the kind, generous church giving out of their poverty. Paul says it's a noble thing. It's a good thing. Look at verse 15 again. As concerning giving and receiving. The words giving and receiving there, just to kind of give you a little technical term, a little technical information. The words giving and receiving there are both accounting terms. And Paul is saying this, listen, I received the money from you, but I didn't spend it haphazardly. I want you to understand that the money you gave for me, I counted of every dime that you gave me. And I want to say thank you. Thank you. I'll never forget what you did. How could they give them? What does it say about this church, folks, that they were willing to give to somebody else out of their poverty? They were more concerned about who? Themselves or somebody else? They were more concerned about somebody else. You know, folks, if we'll stop just being so concerned about ourselves, so wrapped up in ourselves and wrapped up in the lives of other people and what's going on in other people's lives, it's become a running joke around here. In the last couple of years, it's not so much now because I try to, right now, I kind of try to watch what I say because I don't want to hear the chuckles behind me from, from the missus. And, um, and it's kind of been a running joke right now. Whenever I, whenever I talk to you all or text you or go to your house, then, I, then I'll say something like, what do I say? Y'all need, y'all need anything? Okay. And it, and it got to be kind of cliche. The last words that Pastor Michael was going to say before he left or before he got off the phone, y'all need anything? And Bonnie, I've never had anybody say yes. I hope they don't say 20 bucks because I usually don't have it. But I've always been, well, y'all need anything? But let me tell you something. And God knows my heart. That has never been cliche with me. I've told you all many times, and I'll tell you again, the only time I would get upset with you is if I know you had a need and you didn't tell me. Because that's why I'm here. It's for you. Because I want to be wrapped up in your life. Because as I, quite honestly, Bonnie, as I'm wrapped up in your life, it helps me forget about the problems that's going on in my own. And that's the point. Because you can't be content thinking about the wrongs that's going on in your life. So get yourself wrapped up in somebody else. And preferably not wrapped up in somebody else is going through the same thing that you have to, so you probably have to go outside your house. But get yourself wrapped up in somebody else and be more concerned about other people. And Paul could be content 
because he was more concerned about these people than he was himself. Why was Paul so joyful? Why was he so content? And at the same time, so glad he gave. Look at verse 17. This is beautiful. He says, not because I desired a gift. He says, I didn't want what you gave. I didn't need it. But I desire what? Fruit that may abound to your account. Why is Paul rejoicing in this gift? Why is he saying that these people have done a good thing? Why is he saying that these people have done a noble thing? Because listen, church, it's not the gift that Paul is rejoicing in. But it was the fruit that giving that gift put to the spiritual account of the Philippian believers. It isn't that Paul wanted that material gift in his bank account, but he wanted the spiritual gift onto the spiritual account of the Philippians. And it is really, church, really a lot of times that that fork in the road on giving, that so many that preach on giving take the wrong turn. I could really get wound up about this. But Brother Ben, I'm going to control myself because I don't want to throw this podium again. People preach on, you know, I'm just kidding. I didn't throw the podium, Zachary. They, people preach, they preach on giving. And even if they preach on giving in a biblical way, they preach on it for all the wrong reasons. And if we're not careful, church, we can do the same thing or give the wrong heart attitude. Because what what do so many preachers do? And I've sat under this preaching. What do so many preachers do? They use scare tactics in the pulpit to attempt to manipulate and drive people to give. They use manipulative guilt trips. And whenever you take prayer requests in the church, there's always the same thing. Pray for the church finances. It's always the same thing. Just to keep it in front of the people. Well, we're about to go down for the count, folks. Well, you know what? (laughs) If I'm visiting a church and the pastor gets up and says, we're about to go down for the count, folks, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to jump ship. And even if I'm a member, I might jump ship. Because it's used just as a scare tactic to keep it out in front of people because you think that you're manipulating people into giving. Such tactics, church, are not only unbiblical, okay? They're not only unbiblical, but they are the recipe for people giving with anything other but a good, noble heart. Paul says, I wasn't concerned about the gift. I was not even concerned for the need that the gift met. All I was concerned about is that because you sacrificially gave it, it was fruit to your account in heaven. That's what concerned me. And that's why I'm a contented person, because I'm not worried about my needs. I'm worried about you sending rewards ahead of you to heaven. I'm not worried about my bank account. I'm worried about your bank, your spiritual bank account being filled with spiritual fruit. Because Paul said, I'm not preoccupied with myself. He was not preoccupied with how comfortable he was. He was not preoccupied with how well-fed he was, how satisfied he was, or any of that. He's not saying you did well to give me that gift because it met a need and it made me so happy. Boy, you don't, you don't know what your need met. You don't know what need I had. And you, you, in good timing, man. Man, I'm so happy for that. No, that wasn't Paul's attitude. 
What was Paul's attitude? He said, I'm so glad you gave it. Not because I met a need in my life, but because I see it as fruit to your account. You see, that was Paul's attitude in giving. Paul's attitude in giving was not making deals with God. So, okay, God, I'm going to give 10% of my, of my income. Therefore, I expect you to do this. You've promised me. No, that's not, how, that's not how giving works. Giving works as you give yourself to God first, and you give not to receive a blessing, but you give for spiritual fruit. You see, there's a, two, there's a huge attitude between those two types of giving. I should never have the attitude, boy, I'm sure glad you gave because that means I get a paycheck. I should never have it. The pastor, I should never have that attitude. Boy, let me, a little collection plate comes around, Brother Nathan. Let me, let me see how full it is, see if I'm going to get paid today. That should never be the attitude. A preacher, a preacher who has an attitude toward giving, let me get myself in trouble. A preacher that has that attitude toward giving has no business in the ministry. A preacher that has that attitude toward giving, that, man, I hope they give because I need a paycheck, has absolutely no business in the ministry of Jesus Christ. None. Because your focus is all wrong. And really, that preacher who does that has become a lover of money. A lover of money. Which the Bible says is the root of what? All evil. We rejoice when God's people give only because, our attitude should be, only because they're adding spiritual fruit to their spiritual account, not money to the church's account. And we have that attitude about giving. Then we can be excited when people give. How much or how little, it doesn't matter. Because as they give, as God has prospered them, as they give willingly, as God has, proper, has prospered them, as they give out of a loving heart, as a cheerful heart, as God has prospered them, we can rejoice because that's fruit to their account. Because 2 Corinthians 8, 2, they did what? They gave of themselves first. And then when you have that attitude, church, when you have the attitude that's about spiritual fruit, then it doesn't become a matter of percentages and accounting. Some, some have told me, had the preacher tell me this one time, I wrote a whole sermon on tithing, the biblical concept of tithing. And uh, maybe I'll preach it one day. Maybe I won't, but I've got one. And it may surprise you the conclusions of tithing the Bible actually comes to. But I wrote this sermon on preaching, and I was discussing it with this other pastor friend of mine that I, that I said, and he said, Brother, Bonnie, you'll, you'll appreciate this, Bonnie. You're the treasurer. You'll appreciate this. Brother, you preach that stuff from the pulpit? You're giving your people an excuse not to give. You know, sometimes we say some stupid stuff. And so... <laughs> And sometimes we think a real, we think very little about the God we serve. What do I want to teach people? What do I want to teach you? Brother Ben, I don't want to teach you to give 10%. You know what I want to, you know what I want to teach you? I want to teach you to give yourself. I want, you to, I want to teach you to give yourself first. And as you give yourself first, I'll let God deal with you on how much. Fair enough? But, I'm, but if you don't give yourself first, even if you give the 10%, it's usually out of a corrupt heart that you're not going to get any spiritual fruit anyway because you haven't given yourself first. You're given uh, out of obligation. 
You're giving grudgingly. And Paul says, don't give that way. Listen, if you're going to give to God grudgingly, then keep it. Because as Blue says so many times, God doesn't need our money. He doesn't need it. You give yourself first. And when you give yourself first, then God works everything out in accordance to his sovereignty. But Paul was more concerned that they, look, notice what Jesus said in, John, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Because this was what Paul was more concerned about. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon the earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But do what? Lay up for yourselves treasures where? Listen, you're not going to lay up one treasure in heaven giving 10% begrudgingly, but you'll send all kinds of rewards ahead of you if you give out of a loving, willing, gracious heart as God has prospered you. Lay up yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through and steal. He was, he was a man that was a content, contented man. He was contented because he was, wasn't consumed in himself. He was deeply contented because he was concerned about the spiritual blessings others received. Let me ask you a question, church. How about you? Do do you rejoice more in the blessings that come to others? Or Or are you more concerned about the blessings that come to you? Are you content to be without as long as somebody else is blessed? That was the heart of the Apostle Paul. He was not interested in acquiring benefits in in this life. He was interested in seeing eternal dividends for the spiritual life of others. That was his heart. And church, listen, contentment comes to those who are preoccupied with others. Paul was thrilled with the gift, not because it benefited him, but because it gave them spiritual fruit. Let me give you a little bit of, real quick, let me give you a little bit of spiritual principle of giving throughout Scripture. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24. There is that scattereth and yet increaseth. And there is that does what? Withholdeth more than is necessary, but tendeth to poverty. Here's the principle, church. You give away, you get an increase, right? You give away, you get an increase. You hoard, what happens? You get nothing. Verse 25 of Proverbs 11. The liberal soul shall be made what? Fat. And he that watereth shall be watered also himself. And the principle is this, church, God will not be indebted to you. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 17. He that hath pity upon the poor lendeth unto who? The Lord. And that which he hath given will he pay him again. Luke chapter 6, verse 38, give, and it shall be given unto you, good measure, pressed down and shaken together, and running over shall men give into your, into your bosom, for with the same measure you meet or give out, wherewithal it shall be measured to you again. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, but at this I say, he which soweth, what? Shall do what? And he who sows bountifully shall reap bountifully. And here's the application, church, throughout Scripture. What you give, what you give becomes treasure in heaven. 
And in response to that, God gives you in return. Now, folks, I want to clarify this very clearly. This is not health and wealth prosperity. This is not the health and wealth prosperity gospel. I hate that stuff. This is not health and wealth. This is not the, the happiness boys stuff. That you give and you're being asked to give for the sole reason of receiving back. I'm going to give to the televangelist because he promised me that if I give, that's a seed that I'll get abundance and back. That's not what Paul is saying. That's not the principle of Scripture. That's the health and wealth gospel, and that's the gospel of demons. We give because we love God, and we love others, and we expect nothing back because we gave of ourselves first. Now, there are principles of giving and receiving, of sowing and reaping, of being sparse and getting abundance. There are principles in Scripture of that, but our mindset is, is that because I have given myself first and everything I have belongs to God anyway, God, you're welcome to it. And we give not for the sole purpose of giving back, but we give because we're preoccupied with God and preoccupied with others. That's why you give to Emmanuel Baptist Church. You don't give to Emmanuel Baptist Church to pay my salary. You don't give to Emmanuel Baptist Church to pay any, pay the light bill. You give to Emmanuel Baptist Church because you love God. Because if you don't give to Emmanuel Baptist Church because you love God, then sooner or later the giving to Emmanuel Baptist Church is going to do what? It's going to stop. You give to this church because you love Christ. And it's not a percentage. It's not an accounting issue. It says God's blessed you. And notice what Paul says in verse 18. But I have all and abound. I am full. Having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor, a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. You know, Paul isn't with thanks, without thanks here. He is overwhelmed at the generosity. But his satisfaction came not because of what he got, but because of the sacrificial offering of the Philippians was fruit on their spiritual account. And notice what he says that he received. Notice what he says it was to God in verse 18 again. An odor, a sweet smell, a sacrifice. Well, please the God. You know, folks, I don't know about you, but I want to do all I can to please God, don't you? And man, if I knew that I could give as God has blessed me, and what was that? That it's an odor, it's a sweet smell, it's a sacrifice, well-pleasing to God, acceptable to Him. Man, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Not to receive a blessing. Not because a preacher preached on giving. But because I love Christ. I love Christ. The gift that the Philippians gave was not some kind of deal that they made with God. The gift that they gave was not some type of deal they made with a televangelist. It was a gift. It was not the result of the manipulation of a preacher in a pulpit that says that if you don't give at least 10%, God's not obligated to meet your needs. And I've had, people, I've had preachers say that. That if you don't give at least 10% of your income, God is not obligated to meet your needs. That is in the New Testament nowhere, church. And before you run to Malachi, chapter 3 is not even taught there either. Not taught there either. Their gift was a sacrificial act of God. Why? Paul says, I didn't need it. Look at verse 17. But I desired fruit. I'm more concerned with you. 
I'm more concerned with you having spiritual fruit than I am having my needs met. And folks, listen, contented people have that attitude toward others. I'm more concerned about you. You made a sacrifice, yes. But there wasn't a sacrifice to me, Paul says. It was a sacrifice to God. That's who you gave your sacrifice to. This was a man that was preoccupied with the well-being of others. And Paul assures them that even though they gave in their poverty, look at verse 19, I like this. But my God shall do what? Shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. That verse is known by most Christians and quoted by many and misquoted by most. But we need to set it in its proper context. I heard a missionary stand in the pulpit. In fact, he stood in the pulpit of this church many, many years ago and uh, said these words. That you can't claim God will supply your needs unless you're given to missions. It's not what Paul's talking about here at all. Paul's not talking about giving to missions. Paul's not talking about giving to the missions program. That's not what this verse, that's not what this verse is teaching in context. What's Paul teaching in this verse in context? You give it yourself and you be more concerned about others. And even if you give in your poverty, God will take care of you. Why? Because you gave sacrificially. And Paul says, I'm more concerned about you than I am the gift. I didn't need it. I've learned all these lessons. I didn't need it. But I want it to be fruit that's on your account. I believe Paul was a much richer man than he thought that he was. Not materially, but spiritually. Paul says, I know you gave sacrificially. I know that you gave in your poverty. But I want you to be assured God will meet your needs. People must stop preaching on giving as some type of manipulative deal that we make with God. No wonder when the preacher announces that he's going to preach on forgiving, people look at Facebook and people go to the bathroom and people say, oh, I think I hear my baby calling my name. No wonder. I'd do that too if I sat underneath the preaching that all the time was manipulative and scare tactics and God's not going to help you if you, God's not going to help you unless you help yourself. That's not all what it's about, church. It's about loving God first. It's about giving of yourself and letting God direct you what else you do in your life. We would be a whole lot happier and a whole lot better contented people if we just gave of ourselves first, church, and let God take care of everything else. But we want to put our, but like I said in the introduction, we want to put ourselves in these little mold and compartmentalize our whole lives and check this box and check that box and check that box and check that box instead of just giving ourselves wholeheartedly and first to God and letting Him take care of everything else. There's a dear couple. I'm not going to mention them by name because I didn't get their permission beforehand. So I'm not going to do it. But there's a dear couple that is a member of this church. And they told me that one time a previous church they were attending, they received a letter in the mail, and the letter went a little something like this. It was a letter from the pastor, and the letter went a little something like this. The church is in trouble, and I know that you are not giving as much as you could give, and you need to give more. Well, guess what? They gave their keys back. That's what they gave back, and they didn't go back to the church. Because, listen, that's not what giving is about. It's not what it's about. So much of preaching, so much preaching is on giving is being preached in an incorrect way. 
And it's not that EBC has a monopoly on the truth, not at all. But, but Emmanuel Baptist Church, we want to we be Bible interpreters, not Bible manipulators. Okay? We want to give people the truth because we're more concerned about them, not manipulate them to give more because we're, we're more concerned because we want more zeros in our checking account. Praise God for His truth. When one gives to the Lord, we never have to worry about whether or not God's going to meet our needs. Proverbs says, Solomon says in Proverbs 3, 9, Honor the Lord with thy substance and the first fruits of all that increase. Some will say, well, I give faithfully, but I still struggle. Make sure you're giving to the Lord and not just giving to make deals with God, right? Paul did not say, Paul said, I'm not giving with that attitude. And I know you didn't give with that attitude. I'm not concerned about the money. I'm concerned about you. You want to be content this morning? Then be more concerned about others than you are yourself. But in closing, I want you to see this. What, to what extent does God meet our needs? Look at verse 14 again. According to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Notice that prepositional phrase, according to his riches. According to his riches. Not out of his riches. What's the difference? It's very simple. If I walk up to a rich man and I say, give me some money out of your riches. And he hand, Jane, he hands me a quarter. Well, he gave me money out of his riches, right? He gave me a quarter. But if I say to him, give me according to your riches, he may give me a check for $25,000. Why? Because he gave to me in accordance to his wealth, not out of his wealth. And what does the Bible say God does for us? He gives to us, he, meet our, he meets our needs, not out of his riches, but he meets our needs according to his riches. You know, if God only met our needs out of his riches, he could, he could, he could be a really, really a penance of, of, of a gift. But because God meet, meets our needs according to his riches, man, there's no limit to what God can do. If God's people will give of themselves first, give with a willing, cheerful heart, be more concerned of giving for what it can do for the benefit of others versus making some manipulative deal with God, well, we'll do a lot better, won't we? And we'll be a whole lot more contented person. Where did Paul's contentment come from? He trusted God's providence. I know God's got this. God's got this under control. He got his contentment because he says, I'm satisfied with little. Take away everything I've got. Give me nothing else but Jesus, and I've got enough. Because that's what contentment says. Contentment says, I have enough. Whatever God chooses providentially, sovereignly to give me, I have enough. And oh, by the way, Paul says that my contentment is independent of my circumstances. Where I live, how much money I have, how many bills I have, doesn't touch my contentment because I rejoice greatly where? Verse 10, church, in the Lord. My focus is there. And I am sustained by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm sustained by the power of Christ who gives me the strength to be content of, uh, through all of these things I go through. Abasement, hunger fullness and it comes by being preoccupied with others giving as, as the Philippian church is an example of what they did for Paul giving is to be generous as the Lord has blessed you but keep in mind church it's not to be to the man it's to be, it's to, be to God 
It is a sacrificial love gift to God. And God will never be in your debt. How do you be content? Be preoccupied with others. Paul wasn't preoccupied with his need. He was preoccupied with their fruit. He says, I didn't need it. I didn't want it. But I'm so glad you gave it because it's fruit to your account. Be concerned about others. Thank you for listening to Divine Truth Podcast. We pray that the Word of God has been a spiritual blessing to your soul. For more information about Emmanuel Baptist Church, please visit our website at www.ebcmineral.com. You can also find us on our Facebook page at Emmanuel Baptist Church. Our Lord's Day services are 10 and 11 a.m. as well as 6.30 p.m. We also have a Wednesday service at 6.30 p.m. We here at Emmanuel Baptist Church pray that the message of God's divine truth would always go from the cross, through the church, to the world, until Christ come. God bless you.